we here, we've got to put a, 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 a period, an exclamation point on this series. Can you believe uh, this is the last week, the last Sunday in this, in this series that we've been walking through called His Story, and this last message is called Epilogue. Now, last week in Revelation, we looked at the very end of the story, right? Jesus is coming back one day and ushering us into eternity of eternities. And we saw the last verse, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with his people, and the end. Okay, it doesn't actually say the end. I put it there, our artistic license. And at the end of that, if, if, if you've read stories, I don't know, it's probably been a while since you've been in high school English for some of us, but there's this, usually this thing called the epilogue at the end of the book, okay, after the last chapter. And, and to brush you up some skills here, the epilogue means it's a section at the end of a book that serves as a comment or a conclusion to what has happened. Now, we've been on quite a journey together, haven't we? I mean, since August 7th of last year. It's over a year. We've taken some breaks here and there, uh, but 52 weeks we've walked through the greatest story that's ever been told, the most important story that you and I could ever know. And so we come to the end, and it's only appropriate to put a punctuation mark at the end to have a comment, and you know I've always got a comment, or a conclusion to what we've read. I mean, in essence, we're asking the question, what's the point? We've spent all this time walking through this story. What's the point of the story? Why was it told, and why was it given to us? There's a, uh, there's a children's Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. I don't know if you're familiar with it. There's a lot of bad children's uh, literature, Christian children's literature, children's Bibles that I would not recommend. Some of them just have really bad artwork. Some of them have really bad theology. But this is one, if you're looking for something to walk through, especially with your small children. Also, I think this is an encouragement for adults, to be honest. Um, I would recommend the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And in this book, um, she tells us at the beginning a little intro. She says, There's, there are some things that the Bible is not about. Sometimes it's just important to say what we're not saying as it is what we are saying. And the first thing that she points out, and I agree with her because I think the Bible would agree with her. The first thing, as far as the purpose of his story, the Bible, it's not primarily, not primarily a book of rules telling us what we should and shouldn't do. That oftentimes we think of the Bible as this checklist just to make sure that Christians aren't having fun and that God isn't throwing lightning bolts at us, right? We've got to have this guy's mindset. I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date, and I don't date girls that do, right? Yeah, I'm sure this guy doesn't date much at all. Um, <laughs> that was judgmental. I'll repent later. Now, are there rules found in the Bible? Y- yeah. And, and does the Bible tell us how life best works? It, it does. But, but I hate to burst this, this wonderful man's bubble, but the Bible is not primarily about him and what he should and shouldn't do. And it's not primarily about me or you and what we should or shouldn't do. There is a main character in the Bible, but it's not me. And oftentimes we read the Bible through like Justin-centric lens, but I'm not the main character of the the story. It's not primarily a list of rules. And secondly, it's not primarily a book of heroes telling us who we should and shouldn't be like. It's not just a list of moral fables with these heroes of the faith that we're supposed to try to copy. I mean, have you ever read the Bible? This, this book is full of terrible people. And we take someone like Samson, and we make him this, this Sunday school story of this wonderful guy, you know, that you need to, in fact, we even have action heroes now. You know, you can actually buy this at the Christian bookstore. The Samson action hero, uh, we make puppets out of him, the strongest paper bags you've ever seen. And, and, and we even have, I love this one, popsicle stick Samson. Now, I'm not, any Sunday school teachers in here, I'm not trying to get in trouble with you, okay? Um, but um, this, this sweet little story, do you know what it's really about? 
He takes his little popsicle stick arms, knocks the pillars down, and crushes 3,000 people to their death. Okay? Would you tell that part of the story? Samson is not a good man. He's bitter, he's spiteful, and he is a player. Okay? Like, like parents, you would be keeping your little girls away from Samson. He's a bad boyfriend. All right? Samson's a, a terrible person. Jacob, who's named for Israel itself, they get their name from Jacob. He's a lying snake. Like his name means deceiver. David, who's a man after God's own heart, the Bible says, sleeps with another man's wife and then has her husband whacked. Don't be like these guys, right? And even the good things we see from them, we do not, we should not reduce the Bible to just some moral tales to be like David, be like Daniel. There's this creepy YouTube video that I just had to share with you. It's called Dare to Be a Daniel, okay? And I don't know if you've ever heard this story growing up, and this song, Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone. And you've got these kids dressed up in safari hats. It's like this weird, I don't know what's going on. Um, But what what it tells us is like, man, will you be like David or or Daniel? And you look at your little five-year-old and say, if I threw you into a den full of lions... Would you be brave like Daniel? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. Just don't throw me in the lion's den, right? He's just freaking these kids out, giving them nightmares. But here's the reality. I'm not brave enough. I can't be like Daniel. I'm, I'm not faithful enough. I'm not good enough. And no matter how hard I try, I don't live up to these Bible characters who, by the record, they didn't live up to their own standards either. Sinful, sinful people. It's not a primarily a list of rules to follow or human heroes to imitate. No, Sally Lloyd-Jones, she says this book is primarily a story. It's a story, but it's a true story. And it has a main character, but it's not me. This story is, this story is about God. That's why we, we named the title of the story His Story. Because we got four words into the Bible, and it said, In the beginning, God It introduces our main character four words in. This story is about him and his glory in redeeming and rescuing the fallen world. And what Sally says, she goes, this this Bible is most of all a story. This beautiful story, which is so cool that you and I were wired by our creator God to love story, to be wanted to invite it into a story. And that's exactly what we've been reading. She says, it's an adventure story about a young hero His name is Jesus Christ, who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. That's the story of the Bible. It's a love story. A love story about a prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. That's the story of the Bible. I love that God revealed himself to us. He didn't just give us a list of rules or facts about himself for us to read. He revealed himself to us in the form of a story. And this story is one hero, and it's not David, and it's not Daniel, and it certainly isn't me. The hero of this story is Jesus. And I want to read a story to you about him, and I'm going to say some words that I never say in the service. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 24. They're not going to be on the screen. So you can turn there, you can swipe there, but you're not going to be able to read it up on that thing. I'm going old school. Thought about bringing an overhead projector up here, maybe get the tambourine, right? We'll just go time time travel back to the 90s. 
Luke chapter 24. I will will pull up a context for you, though. 24, we're going to start in verse 13. This is a story, it's called The Road to Emmaus. And the context here is Jesus has just risen from the grave. He was, he was dead, he was buried, he rose again. The women had seen him at the tomb. They saw him, or they, excuse me, they saw an empty tomb. Angel said he's gone. They went and told the disciples. Now, look at what it says. You back up to verse 11. And it says, but the story that the women tell the disciples sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. So the disciples, they hear the story, they don't believe it. And this story is going to tell us about two of the men, not two of the, the twelve, but these two other guys, Cleopas and a guy that's not named. And picking it up in verse 13. It says, that day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. doesn't tell us why they were walking, if that was their home. just says they were walking there, seven miles away from Jerusalem. As they walked along, verse 15, 14, they were talking about everything that had happened. So you think about these guys and what this conversation would be like. Here's these two followers of Jesus who had followed him for three years. And there's this promise that he's the coming Messiah. And they had hoped that he was going to restore the glory to Israel, to make them this world power, to deliver them from the Roman army, the Roman Empire. But now he's dead. And there's been these dumb rumors that these women are are spreading about him not being in the tomb and alive. But man, all they say is it's game over. Let's go home. So they start walking home. And in verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. So here's Jesus. He just pops up out of nowhere. Hey, guys. And and it says that God, they 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 don't know it's Jesus, even though they walked with him for three years. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And I love this. I'm reading from the New Living. It says they stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. They stop and they look at him. And one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. He goes, what, have you been living under a rock? Do you not read the papers? Like, how did you not know? And Jesus, I love this, he goes, what things? Right? Jesus just kind of plays dumb, like, what are you talking about? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders, they handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah. We had hoped. We thought this guy was the one who had come to rescue Israel. And this all happened three days ago. Three days ago, and still nothing. Then some, some women, he goes on to say, from our group of his followers, went back to his tomb early this morning. And they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus was alive. Some of our men ran out to see him, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women said. So now, you see, they're going, we're super confused. Is Jesus alive? Is he missing? Did someone steal his body? What in the world is going on? And listen to what Jesus tenderly and lovingly says to these two. You fools. You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe, or maybe your version says you're, you're so slow, so slow of heart to, to believe that all what, that the prophets wrote in scriptures. Now notice what he says here. It's not that they don't know the Bible, right? It's not that they don't know it. These two were probably two good Jewish boys who had been raised up going to temple and sitting at the feet of rabbis. They knew the story. They believed that, that, that God wrote the Bible, that it was their authority. It wasn't that they didn't know any of the scripture. The problem was that they only had a partial understanding of what the scripture meant. And they had missed the key to the entire 
word of God. They, they had missed it, the main point. See, this, this, this word, it calls itself a sword. And a sword is a powerful thing. And, and a physical sword in the wrong hands can do major damage, right? I think about my three-year-old nephew, Ray. You give him a sword, he can mess a brother up, right? I mean, he could do some real damage with a sword. And this book, when not divided rightly, has done some major damage in human history. And many of us, if we're honest, we've grown up in, story, in, in, in church and we know the Bible stories, but have any of us, have we missed the point of the Bible? Have we missed the point of the story? And look at specifically what they missed, verse 26. Jesus says to them, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to, that it would be necessary, is what the Greek meant there, to what? To suffer all these things before entering glory. So specifically what they had missed is, what that, is that it was necessary for the, the, the Messiah to suffer and die before his glory would come. They missed it. They missed that his death and resurrection was a part of the plan all along. And then look at what he does. This is so cool. In verse 27, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses. What's that? That's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus goes back through the Old Testament And he walks them through the story and shows how that entire story had pointed to him. I'm so angry that they didn't include that part in my Bible, right? Out of all the Bible classes that have ever been held, that's the one that I wish I could audit. Heck, I would even pay for it, right? I'm the cheapest guy on earth, but I would pay to take that class. To hear Jesus explain how every part of the, the, the scripture, the word of God, pointed to him all along the road. The entire Bible is about Jesus. In the whole Old Testament, there's a shadow of the cross. And every story, and every lesson, and every theme is pointing to the one that's coming, the one that we're celebrating this Christmas season. Jesus himself, he said this in John 5, we're going back digital, he says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. He was talking to the the Pharisees here. But the scriptures, who do they point to? They, They point to me. Now what's he talking about here? He's not talking about the New Testament. Why? Because it hadn't been written yet. He's talking about the Torah. He's talking about the Old Testament. The, the Moses and the prophets, he says, if you really believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? Because he wrote about me. He says, don't you see? Moses was pointing to Jesus. Paul said the same thing in Acts 28. Paul explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scripture. Again, it's not the Paul's letters because Paul hadn't written his letters yet. He's talking about the Old Testament. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning to evening. We can know this book, but miss the entire point if we don't see the gospel in every single story. That's why we've been using this timeline to walk through the story. And yes, I know some of you thought we forgot. (laughs) And you were going to get away one last time with not doing... I I saw Dan looking over at Kathleen. He forgot the motions. Sorry, Dan. Stand up. We can do this together. 
One last time. Now, remember last week we said return and eternity. That's what we had. If you missed it, it's, or I call it returnity, right? There we go. All right, from the beginning. God, creation, fall, promise, flood, tower, patriarchs, exodus, law, conquest, judges, kingdom, divided, exile, return, silence, Jesus, church, return, eternity. And for the rest of eternity, you'll never have to do that again, right? You're going to have a seat. I'm sure I'll I'll resurrect it every once in a while. See what I did there? All right. Now, um, at the beginning, in the prologue, uh, if if you go to our website, and I'm not making money off of this, so this is not, this is just free. if you go back to August 28th, um, I, I did a, a sermon called The Entire Bible in One Sermon. Easy, right? Um, and you can go back and you can kind of see. We just looked at the theme in, in, in there. So I don't need to go back to that again. That's already on the internet. You can look at it there. Um, but what I want to do this morning is just here in a few, for a few minutes. Do what Jesus did. He said he took him through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from the scriptures the things concerning himself and what it would have been like to walk, it's Jesus talking to these two as they're walking to Emmaus and him explaining how every part of the Bible in the Old Testament pointed to him. Now, we don't have time to do every little thing, but if we take a 15,000-foot view, I imagine he would have said something like this. In the beginning, it was just me and my dad, crazy uncle spirit. Three of us were hanging out in perfect relationship all by ourselves. And then I created, remember John 1? In the beginning was the word, Jesus And all things were created through him. Jesus created things. Created the world, the universe. And and through me, I made all these things. And then I I made you. And I made you to have a special relationship with me and the Father. But but you rejected me. You rejected me. You didn't want to have a relationship with me. You didn't trust me. You didn't believe me. And so then because of your sin, because of the fall, our relationship was severed. Death came into the world and and we couldn't walk together in a relationship any longer. And because of your sin, you tried to hide. You tried to do your best to hide your guilt before an all-knowing God, but you couldn't do that. You made yourself some fig leaves, some suits of fig leaves to try to cover up the sin. There's nothing you can do to cover up your sin from God, even if your underwear is all natural, right? Though Tara's impressed, but God isn't. But I made you this promise in the garden. This promise, this beautiful promise, this weird thing about a snake being crushed, his head, and in the process the person that was wounded as they were crushing the snake's head, that, that pointed to me. I'm the snake crusher. He said, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I'm going to be wounded for you, but I will crush. I will defeat sin and death. It's right there in chapter 3. I'm coming. I'm coming. And then my God showed you. He said, you can't cover yourself up, but I'm going to take some skins. I'm going to kill an innocent animal, and I'm going to cover you by the death of the innocent one. I'm going to cover the guilty. That points to me. I'm the innocent one that was killed so that you would be covered in a way that you couldn't cover your own guilt. And then the, other, the next 39 books of the Old Testament, they all point to me. The, the, the death defeater, the snake crusher, the sin coverer. Then we talk about the flood where God's judgment came to wipe out sinful man and there was one door. There was one way to be saved from God's judgment. And Jesus says, listen, I'm the door. I'm the only way to be saved from the coming wrath of God. And then humanity, they shook their little rebellious fists at me, 
said, we're going we're to make a tower to, for our name to show how great we are. I looked at them and I said, no, you didn't. And I confused your languages so you couldn't talk to each other. And I made many nations. And out of those many nations, I chose one nation through Father Abraham. And I promised to bless all of those cursed, sinful nations through this one nation, Israel. And this, this nation, Israel, would be this light that would shine to all the other nations. And when I promised to Abraham, all people on earth will be blessed through you, I'm talking about his seed. And Jesus says, I am that seed. I am the blessing. I am the one born of Israel that will bless and has blessed all nations, reconciling all tribes and tongues through my perfect work on the cross. And it says, you read on, and then the people of Israel are released, are, are saved from, from the, the nation of Egypt. And how do they do that? God said, I'm going to kill this Passover lamb in your place, and if you'll take its blood and put it on the doorpost, the, the angel of the Lord will pass over and spare your sons as the lamb died in your place. He goes, I'm the Passover lamb, and it was my perfect blood that was wiped on a cross so that you might be freed from the chains of bondage to sin and death. And then he says, we made this covenant with you, this freed people, to keep my commandments. But the people couldn't do it. And they failed over and over again. So I had them, I had them sacrifice these animals daily. It was a bloodbath. Lambs and bulls and doves. And every single one of them was pointing to the coming deliverer. These, these goats, these sheep, they couldn't take away sin. They were a picture, a picture of me, of, of the innocent lamb who would come, God, on earth, and who would shed his blood for you. And daily they were reminded that it was only going to be one who would keep the law perfectly. And he would die in the place of the guilty ones. And then God brought you into the promised land, this conquest, and he drove out your enemies so that you could have peace in the land that he had promised back to Abraham. But listen to me, that was a picture, and I'm the one who has wiped out every foe, every sin in your life so that you could have peace in the promised land. I am that land. I am the rest that you can enter on a daily basis. And then he says with these people, these people, again and again, they failed to trust and obey me, and they turned to other gods and other judges and other kings. And because of that covenant that I made with them, that said, if you disobey me, I will kick you out of the land. I'm true to my word, and I exiled them. I drove them out of the land. But in my grace and mercy, I brought them back to show that one day one would come and would exile those who had been driven away from me, would bring them back to know me and have a relationship with me. I'm the one that reconciles not just Israel, but the entire world to God. And then, for hundreds of years, these prophets, they made these prophecies. They talked about this, this king that was going to come, that would sit on David's throne forever. This righteous judge who would come and rule the world, that would right every wrong. The day of the Lord was coming, and that's me. Three or four hundred prophecies made in the Old Testament that, that by his wounds you would be healed. They were talking about me. I'm the suffering servant that Isaiah preached to deaf ears. And because you wouldn't listen for four hundred years, I was silent. But at the end of those four hundred years, I finally came to earth. But not as a military leader to conquer 
the nation of Israel deliver them from Rome, but I came in the most unexpected way imaginable. I came in the form of a baby. And this baby grew up to be a man who would suffer and die as was necessary before he would enter his glory forever and ever. Isn't it clear? Don't you see it? When you read the Old Testament, every symbol, every sacrifice, every prophecy was pointing to me. This entire story is about Jesus. And, and it's so cool what happens. Let me go back to verse 28. I still have it open. This is by the time, so that he tells this story on the way to Emmaus. By the time they were nearing Emmaus, I'm sure that went quickly, and their journey was about to end, Jesus acted, I love this, he acted as if he was going on. Hmm, not my stop. But they begged him, no, no, Jesus, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So we went home with them. And as he sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it. What's he doing? My body was broken for you. He's having communion with his two disciples. And at that moment when he breaks it and he gave it to them, so suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. It's Jesus. And then, at that moment, he disappeared. Ah! Oh, we finally figured, it's Jesus, and now he's gone. What in the world? Right? And they go, man, we saw him. And they go back, they run back, and they tell the disciples, you guys, we saw him. We saw Jesus, the living word, in the flesh. He's alive. But more importantly, we saw him in the written word. This thing is all about the living word. They believe. The week before I graduated uh, Bible college, my favorite professor, his name was Mike, he, uh, he wasn't going to be in town for uh, graduation, so we had an open house where we had all the seniors gather at his house. I loved this guy. Uh, he was one of the goofiest looking guys I've ever met. You never Alice in Wonderland, Tweedledee and Tweedledum? Okay, cross that with Rex from Toy Story, because uh, he, always, he always talked with his arms stapled to his sides like this. I love him. I'm, I'm sorry, Jesus. I, I love him. But more importantly, one of the most humble men I've ever met. And he, I remember he said once, he said, I've been teaching the Bible for 40 years, and I know a drop in the bucket of my God and his love for me. And we were sitting at his house, and, and we we're sitting at his feet like little baby birds. Just feed us, feed us, feed us, right? And he's telling us all these stories. And, and, and I said, Mike, if you could tell us one thing, one thing, what would it be? Like, as we're about to go out, here's these missionaries armed with the theological understanding of the word of God, right? We're going to go conquer the world. What would you tell us? And I'm waiting for this deep, you know, this Greek word. I had never seen that tense before. Something kind of crazy, theological, mind-blowing. And he looked up for a second. And he looked back down at us. And he just said, it's all about the person of Jesus Christ. It's all about the person of Jesus Christ. This Bible's not about facts, it's not about theology, it's about a human being that was also God. And his name is Jesus. And this whole thing wraps around him. And I'll never forget those words. And there's a man, a pastor, his name's Tim Keller, and he's a contemporary, and he says, you can't properly preach or, or read any text 
putting it in, in its rightful place in the whole Bible unless you show how its themes find their f- fulfillment in the person of Christ. Here's what he's saying. Any story, if it's taken out of the, the grand story that's being told, okay, it, it's, it's not been rightfully read or, or preached. So, so, for example, if we take the law and we just, we just shine a flashlight on the law and look at that little puzzle piece all by itself, how easy can the law become just this list of rules that you and I are supposed to obey? Now, this is what I'm supposed to do to make God happy with me, to keep from him from smiting me. But if we miss the context of the law, A, it was never even given to Gentiles, right? It was given to the Jewish people. And we put it in the context of the story. We see that the law was given to Israel to show that they could never keep it. And that's why they sacrificed these animals to point toward the one who would keep the law perfectly and would be shed blood for them. We have to keep every story in light of the grand story. And if we do that, we'll see Jesus in every single story. If I could recommend one, one resource to you these days, I would recommend the Bible Project. It's been my little thing. I, I don't want to worship it instead of God, so I'm, I'm working hard to, to not do that. But it's, just, it's two guys, and, and they have this series of YouTube videos, uh, they have podcasts, and I love what they do, and they have these amazing videos and, 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 what, and teachings. But what they do, they say their mission, and this is on their website, they say our mission, and I love this. I wish I would have stolen this and made this the, the thing for our series, but it says our mission is to show the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. It's a unified story. So remember we said it's not just a bunch of little fables. Here's Daniel over here and Jesus over here and Moses over there. But there's, it's actually a unified story. All these stories go together and, and these stories working together all lead to the person of Jesus. And these short stories show us again and again how we fall short, how we can't do it, and we need a deliverer. And we've been given a deliverer. The Apostle Paul, I think he summed it up best when, when he said this. If you want to boil down the Bible into four words, which is a, a dangerous thing to do, maybe, but if I had to sum it up in four words, story of the Bible. This is, this is borrowing straight from Paul in Galatians 2. You want to see it? Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. I can't do it, but he did. I am, I am bad. I am needy. He is good. He is sufficient. That, that, that I need Jesus, and I have Jesus. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's, it's not I, but Christ who lives in me. That's the story of the Christian life. That's the gospel. And the ultimate question that we have to ask ourselves since the beginning, since the Garden of Eden, was will we, will we trust God? Will we, will we, do we know his word, what he said to us, and will we believe the word that he said to us. That's what started sin in the first place. Adam and Eve did not believe God's word. They didn't trust that his way was better. You're a liar. This fruit's good for me. And ever since, this has been the question. Do we know and believe his word? Do we know and believe his word? And two parts to that. First of all, do I know and believe the Bible, the written word of God? Paul said to his disciple, Timothy, he charged him. He said this, these words in 2 Timothy 2. He said, be a good worker. One who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Are we men and women, are we boys and girls who know this book? The two disciples had followed Jesus for three years. They had read the Bibles their whole lives, but they had missed the point. Do you know this thing? Not, not as isolated stories, not as a book of rules to follow and heroes to imitate. But do we see this story and how it all, all these stories fit together to tell one story that leads to Jesus? 
And that's the purpose of, of this study that we walk through. It's to know and equip you for that. But here's the reality. This, this, what we can do for, for an hour on Sunday mornings, that can only wet, wet your appetite. We, we must be students of the word. This is called our daily bread. Like anybody in here just eat one meal a week? Right? We're going to be feeding, feasting on. This is our sustenance. And not just knowing the facts, but believing it. Do I believe this is true? Do I believe that the Bible, God's word, is the authority in my life to believe it and to obey it? And if I know and believe it, if, if the litmus test for if I know and believe God's word is the answer to question number two. Do I not just know and believe the written word, but do I know and believe Jesus, the living word of God? Because the point of the Bible is to point us to the person of Jesus. And Paul, he summed this up in Philippians 3. He goes, everything else, everything else in my life is worthless, is garbage, is dung, compared with the infinite value. You cannot put a price on knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He says, this is everything for me. This is everything. Jesus, and listen to me, Jesus is not just some ticket that gets us into heaven. Disneyland in the sky, like we talked about last week. And he's not just sprinkles to put on top of our lives to make it better. Jesus is the very breath we breathe. And without him, we are suffocating. You see, faith in the worship of Jesus is life itself. And it's not just something we need to know so that we can get saved. The gospel is not just something for the, for the conversion moment in our lives. It's every moment of every day centered and focused around the person of Jesus. We said in the first lesson of the series, man, we, each of us have a worldview. We have a way in which we see the world, the way we see reality and believe about reality and therefore act on reality. And that affects every area of our lives. It affects the way that we work, the way that we do marriage, the way that we parent, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the way we set our values and priorities. And the lens that we see the world is not through Jesus. and there will no, not be any satisfaction in our lives. But through Jesus, as our stories step into his story, we can re-engage and redeem every aspect of our lives through Jesus to rightly worship and give glory to God through Jesus in our marriage, in our work, in our values, in our priorities. See, again, to, to wrap it up, uh, it's not, uh, the Bible's not a list of rules to keep. It's not, it's not a list of heroes to try to imitate. The Bible is a story. The story about God redeeming man through the person of Jesus. And Sally Lloyd-Jones, she, she summed it up when she said, rules don't change you. Rules can't change you because you're sinful. You can't just keep, you can't just try harder and do better and keep more rules or try to copy this guy, do a better, at imitating, uh, a better job imitating these good people. Rules can't change you, but what can change us is a story. A story, God's story, his story, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why, I mean, if I was going to give an alternate name to the Bible, if I was going to call the Bible something, I would probably use what she called it, the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is a story about the person and work of Jesus. And she said, every story whispers his name. May we have ears to hear. May we have eyes to see. Jesus, and know God through him. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot of competing noise in this world, a lot of things trying to tell us what, what is and isn't true, 
and even the word itself, if we don't approach it correctly, we can miss it, and we can make it into something it's not. So I pray that, that, first of all, you would give us a hunger, a hunger to feed on your daily bread, that we would have a desire to know your word, and more importantly, to know the person of Jesus in your word, a living relationship with him. And then as we open that word together, together on Sunday mornings and in home groups and in small groups and in Bible studies and and, and, in in our families, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the beautiful gospel of your love through Jesus in the story, that we would understand it, that we would divide it rightly and know and value and treasure Jesus above all things. He's the only one that can satisfy. He's the one this story is all about. May we not be the foolish ones like the ones on the road to, to Emmaus that missed it, that we would see it, and that every story we read, we would hear whispers of your name. We love you, and we thank you for giving us the written word so that we could see and know and breathe the living word. It's in his name we move and breathe. Amen.